So if you want to open your Bibles and look at Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, that's page 1694 in your pew Bible. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And we're going to come back to your Bible a couple of times in today's message. So, uh, as you know, I always, uh, at least since last October, I've been following the Revised Common Lectionary, which is this ancient and awe-revised version of a schedule of readings that we can go by each week that uh, has a remarkable quality that I've never been able to pin down. And I've, I've run into, occasionally run into people who have been uh, somewhat troubled because because they're a little afraid that there's something churchy about it. But what's really amazing here is, is that that in order to edify the people of, of God, the various shepherds in the past have provided this schedule of readings. And in this schedule of readings, um, something really unique has happened. There's this other thing that emerges more often than not. So when you read a particular text, uh, you will find yourself... Um, you know, drawing some meaning out of it that does something special for you. And yet when you read a set of readings that's sort of been prescribed to you, and I mean it like that, it's, it's as though your doctor is providing you with a prescription for uh, the betterment of your body and your well-being. In this case, this prescription this week is this set of readings, of four readings. And uh, somehow in this prescription, you not only get the word of God, but there's something else that seems to happen from God that is communicated. And that was certainly the case for me this week as I was preparing for today's uh, time of, of learning together, because all of the readings came together to say something that any one of them apart from itself, apart from the others, might not say. In other words, the four readings presented me with an idea that I hadn't previously considered as I read the individual scriptures, but as I looked at the four of them together as a package, all of a sudden something just jumped out at me that I felt I had to deal with. I felt compelled, really. And as I go on, I think you'll even understand that I would have preferred to have been compelled to take this message and share it with you a little closer to the time we're moving on, you know, because some of the things I have to say might be difficult to hear, and then you'll look at me again next week, you know. There's a reason we hang up on people, you know, because we don't want to hear their response to what we just told them off about, right? You know, well, that's not what's really going to happen here. But I do, (laughs) I do feel funny about some of this stuff. So bear with me, because as this leapt off the page, it became clear to me that these passages today are telling me something that I feel like I should tell you about what it means to be a shepherd of God's people, which is my job. It's what it means when you call me Pastor Dan. Now, Gavin, as of today, this joke is over. Last weekend at the wedding, uh, 
Gavin got to meet my brother Dave. And he found out there really is a Dave or something. Now, that's a little personal joke, but when he was really little, like a lot of our kids here in the preschool, they hear Pastor Dan and it's all one word to them. It's, just, it's an identity. And so when he heard me being called Pastor Dan at the fire department while I was wearing my fireman's uniform and everything, he couldn't wrap his mind around that. Why did they call him Pastor Dan? He's only Pastor Dan at church. And his mom said, well, what's his name, do you think? What do you think his name is then? And, and he says, I don't know, Dave or something? <laughs> and, and last week he got to meet Dave. Now, Gavin, that's it. We're done, buddy. No, no. It's over. Don't. The poor kid has lived with this story being told at his expense for too long. But here's the thing. I would like people to know as I move on to my next assignment and you greet your new pastor that there is a meaning behind the title pastor. There's, there's a thing that's going on there that's sacred. You are not called pastors, I am. You are called, however, the priesthood of believers. That is to say, you are all appointed to a holy priesthood of believers. So let's start with what you are, and then I'm going to use these passages to show you what I think I am, and we'll see where that takes us. A priesthood of believers, as it is described in uh, the uh, uh, passages that we read in First Peter chapter two, for example, is uh, a priest is a person who is an earthly interpreter or an earthly presider over spiritual and unseen things. So, a priest is a person who is a physical representation of the invisible and unseen God. That, that's what a priest is. Now, in some traditions, that's a job, but it's everybody's role if you're a believer. And here's how you come to be this. When you have accepted Christ's gift of salvation, then you've been justified before God, which means you're now covered by God, uh, covered by God through through uh, Jesus' sacrifice. In other words, God can't see your sin anymore because Jesus has covered it through his sacrifice. And that's where you get justification. But now that you've been justified, you're invited into a new holy life. You're invited to be born again. Now, the Christian who is born again is somebody who, in effect, has not changed anything on the outside that you can see, but they've had their whole programming redone. They've gone from an IBM operating system to a Macintosh operating system. I mean, they've completely redone the internal workings. That's what it means to be born again. So you don't look that different when you have been born again, but everything about you on the inside has been changed. Your spiritual nature has changed. And so as a born again believer, you've joined the priesthood of believers. And the reason that you have to go by that is because the thing that has changed in you is that you're no longer separated from God. Your sin separates you from God, which means you can't be a physical representation of God because you're not connected to God. But when you're born again, you're connected to God now. You're holy in a way that only God can see because your spirit has been changed from guilty to 
son or daughter status. And so the priesthood of believers means that now that you are a physical representation of Christ, who is unseen by the world, you became a priest, a person who demonstrates God's presence on earth. So all believers are part of the priesthood. In that, whatever you do, whether it's in your workplace or school, whether it's in your volunteer organizations or the most sacred place in your home, with your children and your family and your spouse and your parents and your aunts and uncles and all those people that are part of your family, you are a priesthood. You are to them a sign of Christ. You should look at you, the friends should look at you and see something about you that gives them an image of Jesus because you are an earthly representation. Now, how's that going? Don't answer. Just think about it. Now, today's reading says that, uh, so far that we've read here, says that people who were coming to faith in Christ after the resurrection and especially after Pentecost when the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, they're born again. Their, their internal workings have been completely redone. Their software has been upgraded significantly. These people have started to live a certain way. And the Acts of the Apostles is basically the story of how the church formed and how it became. In fact, scholars are sure that Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, also wrote Acts and in fact probably intended Luke, the Gospel, and the Acts of the Apostles to be like two parts of a two-volume set. So you have one book, Luke Acts, and it has two significant stories. And the Acts of the Apostles is in its beginnings a story of the birth of the church And how the church came to be the very thing that we're part of today. And then it describes the acts primarily of two apostles, Peter and Paul. But it gives us a picture of the Jerusalem church and the Gentile church, which is everybody else, basically. Or the Jewish origins of the church and the Gentile origins of the church. And so what we see when we read this passage is a picture of how they did it in those days immediately following the coming of the Holy Spirit and this resurrection story becoming a reality for all these people. What they did was they stayed together and they fellowshiped together, and they worshiped together, and they cared for one another. And they did this in part because for them, the next thing that was going to happen was just around the corner. Like, they, they believed because they didn't know any better. So I'm not trying to tell you something that you might think, well, what, what is he saying? These people were wrong, or they were dumb? No. They're just like us. Most of the time, we can't see much further than the end of our nose. We, we, have, to, we have to have information from the past that informs our wisdom so that we can understand more clearly what's going to happen in the future. And they lacked certain information. So for them, the return of Christ was something they expected to happen very quickly, 
very soon after all of these other affairs were happening. So, you know, they sold everything and they all kind of hung out together in one place and they're waiting for Jesus. And while they're waiting for Jesus, they're helping people with all the money they collected. So just think about it this way for a second. Now, I want to ask you how well you think this will work out. Let's imagine that we all decide to sell all our homes and all our stuff and we're all going to live together here at the church till Jesus comes. Let's picture that for a minute and imagine how we think that'll work out. (laughs) You'd do that if you thought Jesus was going to be here next Thursday, right? You'd say, yeah, I can do that. But we know better. They didn't. So eventually they went back to work. Eventually they went back to the things that they needed to do because it became apparent to them. And this was a paradigm shift in the life of the early church. They, They began to understand that there would be a time when Jesus would come, but until then, life goes on, and they have to carry on. It's uh, the gospel according to the Beatles. Oh, blondie, oh, blondie, life goes on. That's for you, Tony. So what'd they do? They studied the teaching of the apostles. They listened to what the apostles said. They understood that God had put these people in front of them to teach them. And to show them the way. Because they were followers of Jesus who had been uniquely anointed for that purpose. And they were given a responsibility to not only live out their faith, but to listen to the teachings of the apostles. Now, in Christian tradition, we don't like to say that they continue to be apostles. But we do continue to receive people who are anointed and appointed to teach us and lead us in the spiritual journey. And the word pastor is a word that literally translates to shepherd. It's a word that means that person who leads the flock. And what these people were doing was they were following the shepherds. And eventually the shepherds raised up shepherds who raised up shepherds. And each flock, as, it, as the great gigantic herd of animals grew, grew, then they had smaller flocks that were handled by Individuals, And this is, this is just kind of a, a metaphor and a reality all at the same time. As the church grew daily, it became more important for the leaders, the apostles, to anoint and appoint those who would follow their example and lead the flock. And on it's been going for 2,000 years now, so that a person like me is charged with receiving all the necessary training and education, going through a series of of difficult and and challenging tests to make sure that I should be appointed and am anointed for this task, so that when the bishop representing, you know, the, the greater shepherding of the Lord himself puts his hand on my head and says, now go and do this. And then he sends me here by appointment to serve you. In effect, he's saying the apostles have appointed people throughout the ages to be the shepherds of the flock. And now I'm appointing you to be the shepherd of a flock. Now go shepherd them. Now, let's listen to another reading from our passage uh, assigned by the Revised Common Lectionary. This is the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. That's page 1666 in your pew Bible. Jesus is speaking. He says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who 
enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. So Jesus says he's the gate. He says that the watchman is the gatekeeper and the shepherd leads the people through the gate. Now, if a pastor is called to lead the people in and out through the gate, it means through Jesus, it means that I cannot be anything but a thief unless I lead you through Christ, through Christ alone. Otherwise, I'm trying to do something that is completely wrong in Jesus' sight. I'm trying to lead you into something else. It means that when you hear of pastors who are setting themselves up as the object of the people's affection and the worship of the people and, and, and the pastor and the church has sort of agreed in some unhealthy way that our building and our pastor and our band and our stuff are all so awesome and then all of a sudden you realize there are people who are more in love with the church than they are with Christ. And the number one rule has to be stay in love with Christ. The shepherd loves the sheep. And the shepherd loves the master who is Christ. And therefore, as a shepherd, I am compelled to in love and respect for the master who owns the flock, who is the real owner of this flock. And he has given me charge over this flock to care for it and protect it and save it from Satan. And I have this awesome responsibility to him because I love him, because he saved me, because he is my Lord. And so he gives me this anointing that is passed down through the ages from the apostles right on through the bishop's hand and with a charge to me to come and be your shepherd and care for you. And all I have to do is make sure that Jesus isn't disappointed with how I've been caring for his flock. Piece of cake. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 was also scheduled for today, interestingly enough. And it says, this is what shepherds do if they do shepherding the way the Lord does shepherding. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. 
He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Uh, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint me. I anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what does a good shepherd do? What the Lord does. The Lord our shepherd does. So let's think about this in a very practical way for a minute. The Lord has given me care over his flock. He said, I want you to take care of my sheep. Here they are. This is your flock. I've got sheep flocks everywhere all over the world but you get to take care of this particular flock and here's what I want you to do for this flock I want you to make sure that they never need anything that they should have that you will make sure they never want for any need that's a better way to say it in other words as the shepherd of the flock it's my responsibility given by the Lord to give you what you need but not necessarily what you want or what you think you need or what you consider important. I, and and I, this is a hard thing to say. It's probably a hard thing to hear. But the truth is, it is not a matter of providing what you want. It's about providing what you need. Because a shepherd is trying to keep the flock healthy and strong and alive and productive. A flock of sheep produces great wool that is good for all sorts of things. It makes people warm when they're cold. It takes care of people when they're hungry. It takes care of itself in that it reproduces well. And this is why the shepherd will spend a whole day searching for one flock, uh, one sheep out of the flock because it's worth saving. On the other hand, if you're a shepherd, you will steer your flock towards green pastures and clean, clear, cold water. Now think for a moment about an old western or something like that that you've seen where the cowboys are leading the animals across a long, great distance. And then just imagine a shepherd in Israel or someone who is keeping sheep anywhere in the world. It's really kind of the same scenario. You're moving this flock across dangerous territory. I don't know, maybe the valley of the shadow of death, for example. You're moving them through this dangerous territory and they've gone for a long time without fresh water and crisp, green, healthy grass to eat. And then one of the alpha males or alpha females starts to catch a whiff of that water that they smell somewhere in the valley. And they decide, yeah, shepherd doesn't care whether we starve or whether we die of thirst. And I know where there's some water to drink. And so we push past the shepherd and we pull the flock toward this dirty water and these weeds that we've discovered because our nose is up in the air and we can see them Well, the rest are just head down following the shepherd. Unfortunately, if a shepherd is faithful and true to the master, then the shepherd's going to have to take his stick and he's going to have to go over there to this headstrong ewe or this headstrong ram and say, Stop! I am the shepherd. And it is my responsibility to steer you towards green pastures and sweet water. This isn't good for you. This is weeds. This is dirty water. This is poison to the flock. This is not good. 
And I'm willing to risk your wrath. I'm willing to risk you butting me in the behind when I'm not paying attention. Because this is my job. This is my responsibility. I answer to the Lord, the Master. And He would not want me to steer my flock into dirty water and weeds and see them fall apart and decay because of sickness and disease and all manner of evil. And so when the going is the toughest, the pastor, the shepherd has to do this job that nobody wants and nobody appreciates, which is to put the stick to the headstrong you or the headstrong ram. It's not fun because pastors are like everybody else. We just like for people to like us. We just like for everybody to think that we're swell guys and gals and that we wouldn't want to hurt them. But you know something? I love the sheep that the Lord has given me to care for enough to do the hard things and suffer the pain. I love the sheep enough to protect them even from themselves. Because it's my charge, it's my responsibility. It comes all the way from the apostles because I am a part of the priesthood of believers, but I've been anointed and appointed to a much more difficult and thankless task. But I welcome it. And now, I may have interpreted these passages this way because I'm getting ready to move. I don't know. It might be because I've spent 20 years in ministry and I'm being very reflective. On the other hand, I can tell you that what I did was I opened up the scriptures for this week and some of the ones that are in the Bible study have seen me do this. I literally am sitting in my chair at the table Sunday night taking my little yellow tabs and marking the pages of my Bible with this week's lectionary readings and then we start studying them together. And this is what comes off the page to me. It just says, tell them this, Dan. And I go, could I not tell them this until the 18th and then I can just leave? Nope. This is the reading for the May 7th, and you have to do it on the May 7th. Oh, man, I don't want to. They might think I'm mad or something, or they might think, well, you were very nice to somebody or whatever. And the truth is, is a shepherd has to live with the responsibility because he obeys the Lord, the master of the flock. And I'm telling you this because your next pastor is going to be the same kind of person. won't be me. But it would be a person who has received down the line the same anointing and appointing to lead the flock. And while there will be those watchmen who are part of the flock's elders of the faith, so to speak, and they will be a vital ally in the process of leading the flock where it must go, the essential ingredient is obedience to the master, the lord of the flock. The one who owns these flocks. Because if we're not faced heavenward and looking for his approval of our leadership of the flock, then we shouldn't be the shepherd of the flock. And it means that we're not looking out towards our peers or even the members of our flock for their approval. We're looking heavenward for the master's approval. And sometimes you can get rear-ended by an angry ram when you're looking up for the master's approval. But this is what Jesus says. My commandment is that you love one another, just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay one's life down for friends. You are my friends 
if you do what I command you to do. I don't call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the father will give you whatever you ask in him in my name, ask of him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you will love one another. And you know, love in the Bible is too often imagined by us Westerners as a feeling. But the way, word, the, way the word is used in the Bible most often is agape. And this is not a feeling. This is a devotion A devotion to God, the Father, the Lord in heaven, and a devotion to one another that requires us to care for one another even when it doesn't feel good. Put too much stock in feelings, frankly. Feelings can move us to do and be things that are great and wonderful, but they can just as easily move us towards doing and being and saying things that are ugly. And so sometimes we have to dedicate ourselves to a love that is about obedience to the master and the betterment of the flock for the good of the master's flock. In the preamble to the Constitution of the United Methodist Book of Discipline, it says the church is a community of all true believers under the lordship of Christ. It is the redeemed and redeeming fellowship in which the word of God is preached by persons divinely called and the sacraments are duly administered according to Christ's own appointment. Under the discipline of the Holy Spirit, the church seeks to provide the maintenance of worship, the edification of believers, and the redemption of the world. The church of Jesus Christ exists in and for the world And its very dividedness is a hindrance to the mission in that world. The shepherd keeps the flock together. Because when we're divided, we're of no earthly good to the Lord. As a priesthood of believers, as his earthly instruments, we are united because we are a flock under a particularly appointed and anointed leader so that we can fulfill God's purposes together. And yes, it means that you have to submit yourself to someone else's authority, whether you like it or not. And this is not just church and pastors I'm talking about. This is why families function some better than others. Because there is an importance to having a structure that protects and unifies the organization, whether it's a family, a business, or a local congregation with a shepherd and a flock. Bible truth is hard to deny, but sometimes it hurts. And so if there's a message today that you can go away with is, thank you for letting me be your shepherd. I'm still going to be for about six more weeks, so this isn't my swan song. 
But as you hear these words, also know that I expect you to let Bill Garver be your shepherd. And I expect you to love him and respect him in the agape way for the master's holy purposes. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. A word of truth that is hard to speak, hard to hear. Thank you for loving us and for anointing and appointing us to the priesthood of believers and some to the terrifying and awesome responsibility of being a shepherd. We love you and we honor you and therefore we will obey you even when we feel alone and afraid. Amen. Amen.